Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. Well, the Ducks got it done. Mark Wasikowski's team, his program. Remember, it wasn't that long ago, Oregon didn't even have baseball. Pat Kilkenny was the driving force, former athletic director, longtime booster at Oregon. Ducks win the Pac-12 baseball championship. They've now won a regional, heading to a super regional, likely hosting a super regional. Wazikowski's on the ground. They're on their way back uh, to Eugene. He's joining us now. Where are you right now? <laughs> hey, John, we're just sitting here in the airport, just hanging out. Where You're in Denver? Yeah, we're in Denver. We just landed a little while ago. We came in here from Nashville. Love that. Uh, give us, uh, give us an idea, man. I mean, you've last we talked to you, you're heading off to the Pac-12 tournament. You played great baseball there. Did you get a sense at that tournament that you guys were putting it together and could keep it going? Well, I mean, I I don't know. We 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 started playing really good at Utah that final weekend of the year, and. You know, our backs were really against the wall. We were we were stuck. I mean, we, we had to win some games or else we weren't going to get in. And we knew it, and I told the guys that. I was probably the most honest that I'd been with them ever. Um, and there wasn't any sugarcoating anything. It was just real simple. Hey, we need to win or we're done. And uh, we had done some things, I thought, early in the year to position ourselves really well. But then we went through, you know, a, a heck of a rash of injuries where, you know, it, it kind of – put us back a little bit. We needed to regroup and rebound, and, and the kids just embraced the, the role of, of kind of, <laughs> you know, the uh, back-against-the-wall mentality, and here we are. You get to the regional. You get in there against a program in Vanderbilt that has had tremendous success, um, and you walk away as, you know, the, the team that advances. I mean, what does that mean for your program to, to get that regional win and, and, and now potentially maybe host a super regional? Well, to be able to go into Vanderbilt and do what we did was awesome. You know, Tim Corbin, their head coach, he's um, he's up there and considered, you know, clearly one of the, the best couple of head coaches in the country. And their program is up there as one of the best programs in the country, if not the best one out there. So, um, you know, for us to be able to go in there, I don't think any of the gurus picked us to go in there and win that thing. And, and our guys were able to pull it off. It's awesome for our program. You guys are, uh, you know, you've – all season long, hit home runs, and you had plenty of offense. But I think we all know you need to pitch it to get get through these uh, postseason uh, tournaments and 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 on, and on back to back days, and sometimes under less than ideal circumstances. Uh, how did you feel about the pitching performances you guys got? The pitching has been unbelievable. I mean, it was it was lights out in the Pac-12 tournament. It was lights out down the stretch in the Utah series. And it's been with freshmen um, and, and basically new guys, with the exception of maybe Matt Dallas, who's been really the glue of that bullpen. Um, our bullpen's been incredible. They've pitched very, very well. They've pitched well this weekend. And, and like I said, in the Pac-12 tournament, they, they just threw the lights out of it. Yeah, and everybody talked about kind of the restructuring of that tournament, and I think we had that conversation before it that, you know, it just it seemed to be less taxing on the arms. Did you feel that, you know, even though you were playing late on that Saturday night, you got the extra day off on Sunday, found out where you're going on Monday. Did it feel like the pace of that tournament is much better than maybe it was a year ago? Yeah, there's no doubt about it. I think you hit that one on the head. You know, we 
the way we were seated and structured, I thought was ideal. You know, we played one, uh, we played the first day and obviously winning is important. And so we won, but we, we played and won and then we had a day off and then we were able to play three uh, in a row. So, or it just ended up being fantastic because, you know, you could, you could pitch your bullpen, give them a day off uh, of rest. And then they were back and usually bullpens can go two days in a row. If you start asking them to go three days in a row, that's when, that's when it gets slippery, especially if pitch counts get over the 20 pitch uh, range each outing. That's when, uh, by the third day, they get really, really tired. Mark Wasikowski, Oregon baseball coach with us, uh, super regional. Do you know, when we find out if you host, or do you have an inkling right now, or, or how do you approach that with your guys? Well, I think it's going to come out later or whatever that it's official that we're hosting. But, yeah, we're going to host. Um, it's going to be an awesome experience. Last time we hosted the Super Regional was at PK Park. Uh, in 2012, and I was an assistant coach, and they brought in temporary bleachers, and I think we had over 7,000 people in the stands. The place went crazy. As you as you know, uh, Oregon's a sports, uh, you know, it's a sports state, and the University of Oregon is a huge, huge brand out there and the biggest in the country when it comes to the name brand. So the place will be rocking. It's going to be amazing. And, you know, obviously what's on the line is getting to Omaha, Nebraska. Yeah, and I think, you know, your guys now – you know, I, don't, I, I know in baseball you don't talk about a no-hitter when a guy's got a no-hitter going. and uh, But I think when things are going well and you're winning, it's a lot more fun, obviously. But give me an idea of kind of the messaging that, that you've been giving the guys between games and maybe even now is, you know, you head home from, from uh, winning a regional. Well, I mean, we basically last night was, uh, you know, it was a celebration because, uh, you know, we – the game that we played last night was pretty well in hand for a good chunk of it. We've got, we got some clutch hits pretty early in that game for us to, to put it away pretty early, uh, at least in the middle innings. Um, the messaging has been real simple. I mean, um, I don't know the way we went about this one is we just told them that it was a single elimination tournament, even though it was double elimination, we, we didn't take that route. You know, we, I don't think these guys that I coached this year for whatever reason could, have done a good job uh, when it comes to people telling them that they're doing good. Um, and they, I think it's, I don't know if it gets to their head or they get distracted or we just haven't done a good enough job with, uh, with them as coaches of buffering that news. But when they, it seems to me like whenever they start um, hearing stuff like that uh, during the course of the year, then what happened was is they started playing not good baseball. And so what we did is we just said, look, our backs are against the wall, which they were. And they have been, and we just told them it's a single elimination tournament. Get your mind off of all the scenarios and the what ifs. You know, leave that for the media and the press and the fans. Let them have fun with that. And the way we're going to do it is we're going to take this thing like this is our last day of playing, and we need to win. And so um, don't have any other thing on your mind other than the fact that uh, get after it, take it to them. Uh, back against the wall mentality. That's kind of the messaging we've been going with. Let's go back to when, you know, maybe you first arrived in Eugene or – when you first take over as head coach and, you know, Pat Kilkenny resurrected this program all those years ago, but uh, how far away does that feel to you? Do you think about all the small steps that had to happen in between then and now? Well, yeah, and COVID was a big deal for us because we really needed to recruit. We needed to recruit. We needed to recruit uh, in a big way. We needed to get in the weight room. We needed to get stronger in a big way. And so the players we had on our roster, we needed to get them um, physical, um, to where a guy like Tim Corbin this last weekend said, wow, these guys look like they're 
as physical as any SEC team as we saw this year, and they look like they're at the top of the SEC with their talent and their ability and their physicality. And and that was the first thing that that I talked with the group that that I inherited when I first took over was, you know, we need to get in the weight room and we need to invest. And that was the biggest reason why I, well, I guess when I was interviewing and talking with Rob Mullins about the job, uh, and he asked me for my vision, and I told him, I said, look, I want to have our own strength coach that's strictly baseball who's working, and he understands baseball only. It's not some person who doesn't understand baseball, but somebody who gets it. Uh, I want Daryl Hunter as a strength coach if I get hired. That guy's amazing. And he went with it. So Daryl doesn't have any other sports. He travels with us. He's full-time. He, he rocks it. And these guys are hugely invested in the weight room, and I think that's a big reason why – uh, our guys are a lot more physical, and, and they can hang with, uh, especially late in the year when your bodies wear down. Um, they've they've got the power in their bats, and their their bodies are built up to where they can endure a long season. Yeah, you met, that's a great point that I don't think a lot of people think about. I mean, they see like 88 home runs in the regular season, and they go, okay, they're hitting hitting the ball well, and they're hitting you know a lot of home runs, and this is not bunting and. And this is not small ball uh, at Oregon, and but they forget about kind of the other benefit of weight training. You know, it, it's a lot of doubles and singles and and other things that happen it, during the course of a season. Do you find that with your pitching staff as well? Or, or, are you getting guys that maybe are just in a little better shape, a little stronger, got their legs this time of year? Well, yeah, and I mean, it, it, what's what's really good about the system we have is this Coach Hunter can take those guys and it, he can get them in the weight room whenever he wants to get them in the weight room. Um, and it's not a deal where, you know, we got to see if the strength coach has got time between sports to come over and work with our guys or schedule it out differently. I mean, it literally is a catered program to every individual that we have in our program, and that's Daryl's job. So he doesn't work with anybody other than baseball. Those 40 baseball players on our roster are his – that's it. That's what he's got. And so he's with those guys 24-7, probably knows more about them, and has greater relationships than anybody on our staff because he's with them so much. And, yeah, I do, John. I think that's a huge, huge thing about what we're doing uh, in terms of player development and being able to endure long seasons. Mark Wazikowski with us on a layover. He is uh, heading back to Eugene where the Ducks will – host a Super Regional this weekend. Uh, Oral Roberts uh, as the uh, opponent. Uh, what do you know about Oral Roberts? Right now, I don't know a whole lot about the roster and about their, their players. You know, uh, Probably as soon as we get off the phone, I'll be diving into that pretty heavily. Um, you know, But I do know this much. I know that they're really, really good. I talked with the people that were in the regional already from this last weekend, and they said, these guys are the real deal. They've got arms, they've got bats, and they're just really, really good. So, you know, we'll dive into the details of it, and we'll get our guys prepared uh, in the next several days. But at this point in time, John, as you know, I mean, everybody yeah. that's left in the six. There's only 16 teams left. We're one of them, so the other 15 are really, really good, and we know that. Yeah, I think, you know, at this point, too, you talk about baseball. It's, you know, it's any given day. Uh, and uh, you know anybody can anybody can win this thing. I think that's the beauty of it and the magic of it as well. Can we talk about Pat Kilkenny for just a second? I saw him. He was on the field after the Pac-12 tournament. You know, you and him. He, he he gave you a hug as you guys were picking up the trophies. You know that guy. He brought baseball back to Oregon. Um, you know what has his support meant to you guys over the years? Unbelievable. He flew out to Nashville too. He was there. He was there the entire tournament. Um, he brought Joe Giansante out there with him and Coach Horton. They were all there. That was really special for us to have Coach Horton there. 
you know, I mean, for, for the five years I was an assistant coach here, you know, coach Horton was, um, he had this program where there were only two other schools in the whole country that had more wins in a five year period than George had with the program that he uh, had at Oregon. And obviously he didn't, uh, the one thing he left on the table was a trip to Omaha, and that was a big deal, and, and that's something that I'm sure still sticks with him. Um, but just to have Coach uh, there and Pat there uh, and Joe there and Renee Baumgartner texting me left and right throughout the thing, and, and we did a, a special deal even in the right before the season started in January where we got Lynn Frommeyer, Frommeyer uh, was there in attendance with, you know, representing um, her late husband. And, I mean, just – those people that started the program up, that's how special this thing was when we won the Pac-12 um, uh, conference title. And then this one here uh, with the regional thing, this is awesome for these guys. And for us to get to Omaha is the next step. And uh, our guys understand that, those details, and, and Pat's support for us. We wouldn't be able to – we wouldn't be anywhere without that guy. He's amazing. All right, you're going to get a great crowd. You said it's going to be rocking. Uh, on your way back, i got to know, on a layover – is Mark Wazikowski a guy who gets to the gate and sits down? Do you like to stretch your legs and walk around? You're looking for a book, a magazine. What do you do at an airport? Recruit, recruiting calls uh, the entire time. So, I mean, it's it's re- recruiting calls 101, you know, and and that's what we're doing is trying to trying to build this program. And you know, when you're, it doesn't stop. You know, this job it doesn't it doesn't stop. I mean, we force ourselves to take about a week or so off in in December, but other than that, it's a 24/7 gig and it's seven days a week, and and we love it. And the people that that uh, that are excelling, I guess, in this deal, it's got to be that way because it's that competitive. And so, for us, it's all about recruiting right now in the airport. All right, give me an idea too, because you know you win a regional, your brand is on television all weekend. Everybody knows you're going to the super regional. Uh, you you have you know easier time getting your calls you know returned your texts returned like is that how much does that help you? Well, time will tell on that. Um, but I I do know that the phone's loaded with a lot of a lot of people that you know have watched us now over the last two weeks and are really excited about what they're seeing on TV and the aggressive play that we get after it and and just the, uh, probably the most common thing that I hear from recruits out there is just. You know, coach. You know, it just looks like your guys are having so much fun playing. You know, what do you do? Like, what do you what do you guys do to to get your guys so excited to play? And you know, and for us, it's just real simple. We let them play. We let them have fun. We want to have fun. We want to encourage that sort of environment. And we're not going to browbeat players. Uh, we are going to have a high standard and and have our players determine exactly what that high standard looks like and the details of it. But you know, it's just our job to play baseball man this isn't you know we're not doctors in a medical environment i mean this is something where we're going to be outside we're blessed i mean i'm an overpaid pe coach and these guys are just awesome they got to run around all day i love it it's amazing we get to do this i love it all right congrats coach keep it going you caught lightning in a bottle keep doing it and uh i know a lot of people in the state of oregon proud of you guys well, that's awesome. I hope they all come out and support us this coming weekend at PK Park. And, hey, John, bring Anna down. She'll be great luck, Pepperdine alum. You know, we there have that go. connection and all that. <laughs> bring it. Hey, come on down. Let's go. Let's get this place rocking for the state. I love it. And, uh, I love it. it. All right, Coach, good luck to you, and uh, we'll catch you down the road. We got With this karma going on, we've got to have you on next week as well. On it. Let's go, John. Thank you. All right. Go Ducks. There man. he is. Mark Wazikowski, Oregon Baseball. They are on a roll. They will be hosting a super regional, all but uh, all but announced at this point uh, against Oral Roberts this coming weekend. I believe it's going to probably be a Friday 
uh, if that's the way it shakes down. As soon as we know, you will know. I'm keeping an eye out for that as well. Uh, for those out there that are looking and thinking about Oregon State, Oregon State was eliminated today against LSU in the Baton Rouge Regional. And I think also, you know, if you are a if you are an Oregon State fan, I think Oregon State fans probably viewed it as a rebuilding year. Some people upset, going, what's wrong? Why didn't we get to the Super Regional round? And why can't we get back to Omaha? You can't go to Omaha every year. You could try. But I think what you have to acknowledge is that an expectation has been set at Oregon State. And I think you have to acknowledge the role that Oregon State played in driving Oregon to be better and investing in a program that Mark Wazikowski now has in the Super Regional. We've got some of the best college baseball in America being played right here in our state. So check it out this weekend, PK Park, as the Ducks will try to keep it going. Uh, love that interview with Wazikowski. He sounds, he sounded to me, Stephen, sounded to me like he, uh, you know, he was a little weary. Like, you know, I've talked to him quite a bit over the years, especially when they weren't having success. I've stayed in touch with him and talked to him. He's played in our BFT Foundation Celebrity Golf Tournament multiple times. Um, you know, he, he mentioned Pepperdine. He went to Pepperdine as a player. Anna went to Pepperdine as a student. So they always have a lot to talk about, you know, when he comes out to the celebrity golf tournament. But um, and I think for him now, he's, you know, he's, he's dealing with what, like, a lot of coaches have had success deal with. He's, you know, he's busy thinking about next season, two seasons from now, and recruiting while he's trying to make this season the best it can possibly be. Yeah, and I mean, knowing that you're going to go against a team like Oral Roberts, who is the four seed in the Stillwater yeah. Regional, like, it puts a lot more pressure on you, right? Like, it, it it's not that it's going to be a guaranteed victory, but we've seen this all the time in college baseball, especially, like, these teams come out of nowhere, and it's going to be no gimme, but at the same time, you're not playing, you know, Oklahoma State. You're not playing an LSU. You're, you're playing a team in Oral Roberts, and if you win this series, you go to the College World Series for the first time since 1954. No pressure there, John. No pressure at all. I mean, I, I get it. Like, it's, it's going to be nerve-wracking, but they have the right mindset. He talked about it, you know. One game at a time. It's not double elimination. It's single elimination. Yeah, that's the way you got to do it. And I think right now, you know, the way the Ducks are rolling, won the Pac-12 tournament, win this uh, regional. I think, uh, you know, I like their chances right now against Oral Roberts. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm going to talk about Jody Allen and the Blazers. She's got them in a stranglehold. Wall Street Journal piece over the weekend did a lot of legwork, but I advanced the ball a little bit today. If you read my piece at johnconzano.com, you know some of what I know. I'll tell you the full story coming up next. There's a fantastic uh, piece in the Wall Street Journal over the weekend. Kind of outlined the saga of the Blazers. The uh, death of Paul Allen in 2018 has uh, caused a conundrum. Like, the basketball has moved on, but the franchise really hasn't. It's stuck. Uh, Wall Street Journal reporter Rachel Bachman, who I used to work with uh, at the Oregonian newspaper, uh, took a deep matter dive on the matter over the weekend. That the headline of the piece was the mystery of the NBA team that billions can't buy. It's a great headline. It sort of summarizes the fact that there's an NBA team, there's a potential ownership group in uh, Phil Knight and Dodgers co-owner Alan Smolinski, who would love very much to uh, to buy the team, and unfortunately, uh, there is uh, there is a hiccup that they can't get a call back. Jody Allen, Burt Cold, uh, have not, I guess, returned calls, returned emails, returned written letters. Um, it's caused, I think, Phil Knight and Smolinski 
to go public with their offer. Because when you go to buy a team, and I was told this by another NBA executive, you don't do it like this. You don't go publicly. And I think why we're hearing about it and why we know so much about it is because their offer has been rebuffed and they have been ignored by Jody Allen, the trustee of the Paul G. Allen estate, and Alan Smolinski, the uh, owner of the Dodgers, co-owner of the Dodgers, is part of this Phil Knight bid. Now, the Wall Street Journal piece outlined the $2 billion written offer that Knight and Smolinski made to buy the team last year. Jody Allen, at the time, was unwilling to have anything resembling a conversation about the sale of the team. In the Wall Street Journal piece, the reporter, Rachel Bachman, outlined the idea that Phil Knight and Alan Smolinski tried a second time, including earlier this year. They even made it clear to Jody that they still wanted to make a deal, and they realized the price had gone up, and they were willing to pay more than the initial offer. But Phil Knight's calls to Jody Allen were diverted to Burt Cold, who we talked about earlier this show. Nothing came of brief discussions, and even a few months ago, Smolinski sent a handwritten letter to Jody Allen trying to find some common ground, saying that he and Phil Knight would love to discuss the Blazers with her. In response, he got an email from somebody replying on Jody Allen's behalf, saying Paul Allen's sports teams aren't on the market. I got news for whoever sent that email. Paul Allen is dead. He died in 2018 from cancer. He loved the Blazers. He also had a bunch of passion projects that he wanted to fund. And so this piece, I thought, did a lot of the important groundwork in framing the discussion. But I know a few other things that I want to talk about in this segment. Um, here's one. The NBA plays an important role in the future of the Trailblazers. NBA Commissioner Adam Silver is a really good commissioner by my view. You know, I think, you know, he you can you can nitpick him, but I think he's got a tough job, but I think he does a really nice job back channeling and using a scalpel, not a sledgehammer, to get things done. He's very tactful. He's polished. He's obviously got a law degree. He worked behind David Stern for all those years as deputy commissioner. He saw Stern, who was a little more prone to use the sledgehammer. He watched him make some mistakes with it. Uh, Adam Silver is also close with Phil Knight. You need to know that. They are tight. They know each other well. They spent time together. They are, uh, they've got a direct uh, line to each other. I had one NBA source tell me that they believe Knight's public stance on wanting to buy the team came with the blessing of Adam Silver because I don't think, nor did the source think, that Adam Silver would have said, hey, go public with your offer if he thought for a second that Jody was going to be receptive to it. There's not a lot of upside for Phil Knight to go public with his wishes unless his decision to go public was designed to increase public pressure. And I think that's I think we've got a scalpel situation here. And I I feel like Adam Silver's fingerprints may be on the on the idea that Phil Knight went public. I don't think Phil went public with that offer without Adam Silver going that's not a bad way to do it. Or you should totally do this. Phil Knight is 85. He wants the Blazers. That is clear. That Can we put that to rest? Can we put the idea to rest that Phil Knight, some people said at the beginning, does he really want the Blazers? The fact that he continues to make overtures and try, you know, sends Alan Smolinski in thinking, well, maybe it's me. I'll send the Dodger guy in. 
Smolinski's 43. He's not 85. Different approach. And, and by the way, a really compelling figure in this whole thing. He made his fortune in college at USC. He was a student there. He looked around and he said, gosh, there's a, there's a shortage of student housing. Man, the rents are going out of control. And so what did he do? He bought up an apartment building. And then he started renting it out. He renovated it and rented it out. Then he bought another one. Then he bought another one. He very quickly became the biggest landlord in the region. He's in this Blazers thing for the same reason, guys. There's a development angle here. Paul Allen and his team for a long time sat on a bunch of real estate down in the Rose Quarter, all the surrounding real estate around Moda Center. Um, you know, they, they, owned a, they owned a motel or hotel that was across the street from the arena at one point. Uh, Alan Smolinski sees the upside. He's no dummy. There is massive upside if new owners can get control of the NBA franchise, get control of the arena, and turn the surrounding region into an entertainment district. Shopping, restaurants, housing, huge upgrades, place to be. You know, you've seen it done in a variety of other cities. And, you know, you think about the, the area around Staples Center in downtown L.A. and what a pit it was before the Staples Center got there. And then now you have, you know, a bunch of people going down there to have dinner, stay in hotels and see shows. And, you know, it's become something. There is massive upside, and Smolinski sees it. It's not just about an NBA team for him. He's 43. He's in this for the Hall. Now, I wrote months ago about Knight and Smolinski. They know each other because they live near each other in uh, Coachella Valley in a prestigious area called the Madison Club. It's uh, Palm Springs, but not really Palm Springs. Okay, It's the Palm Springs that... You and I can't get to, okay? So he's living out there in Madison Club, and for like, you know, $25 million, you can get a house there too. But Phil Knight and Spolinski play on the same golf course, go to the same restaurants, they go to the same spa, they walk on the same hiking trails. They're both entrepreneurs who are self-made. I mean, it makes a lot of sense that they would know each other and that they would connect, and I think this would be a huge win for the Blazers organization and for fans if these two guys could get together on this deal. They are perfect. They're everything, like apologies, may he rest, may his soul rest in peace. They're everything that Paul Allen wasn't. They're very focused. They're driven. They're entrepreneurial. They see the opportunity. Knight has this hint of nostalgia in him. This would be a legacy play for him. Again, we're talking about the guy who sold sneakers out of the trunk of his car in college who built a sneaker empire into the greatest sports enterprise story that ever existed alongside a guy who co-owns the Dodgers because he saw opportunity around USC now the value of the franchise the Blazers franchise is in the middle of this Knight and Smolinski offered two billion it's probably worth three billion so this thing has skyrocketed in value in the last two years Burt Cold is holding the keys the, Vi the Blazers' vice chairman and that former roommate of Paul Allen, what a lucky guy. He is taking the lead on when the franchise does get sold. That's why it scares me when I watch him courtside at the Blazers' draft workouts and he's yucking it up with Joe Cronin. I'm like, don't let Burt whisper in your ear and tell you who to pick. Burt doesn't know basketball. I don't even think Burt knows how to sell a team. I don't know how to sell a franchise. 
I'd be the wrong. I'd be all wrong for it. But I can tell you, Burt Cold's wrong for it too. He will take the lead on the franchise being sold. I am told by multiple sources that he will receive a commission for brokering that sale. There's definitely some motivation. Blazers fans, pay attention. I wrote about this today. There's definitely some motivation for Burt Cold to get the best possible outcome and also to not wait 20 years to do it. Like, I think at some point, Burt's going to want to sell because he's going to want his commission. And that point may be littered with clutter. And, you know, I was told very early on by an NBA executive who knows the Blazers organization well that the holistic approach for the Blazers' sale would be to sell to Phil Knight, take a little less money, make sure that the team ended up in good hands. It would be the right thing to do, the holistic thing to do. The problem is Burt Cold is not a holistic cat. He is going to want every single dollar he can get, the best possible outcome, and I, I venture to say he may be waiting for the league's new TV deal to get negotiated, but I think at some point, He's going to want to sell this team and maybe find himself at the mercy of the trustee, Jody Allen. She's not in a hurry. Those two could end up at odds. Stay tuned for that match. But we keep hearing it could be 10 to 20 years to sell the team, and I thought the Wall Street Journal piece did a great job of laying out how ridiculous that is. They had an estate attorney say, You'd have to really drag things out to get to 20, 10 to 20 years. Like You'd have to intentionally drag it out. Why doesn't Jody want to move faster? Think about that. It's an important question. Why wouldn't Jody want to move faster? Is she stubborn? Is she aloof? Is she power hungry? Does she want to be viewed as the queen bee as she buzzes around the uh, empire that her brother built? Pick your theory. I, you know, none of those things are wrong. None of them. I, I've heard people who I trust and know go, she's stubborn. She's power hungry. She likes to be the queen bee. You know, uh, had one former Blazers executives tell me, they, you know, we're talking about the apartment that's at the top of Moda Center. When you're at a game, if you haven't noticed it already, look up into the rafters and you'll see a smallish, looks smallish, but it's not really if you're inside of it, apartment that was placed up in the rafters at one end of the building. Paul Allen's apartment. And I don't think he spent a night in there, but his mother Faye did would spend the night and sometimes get to stay there. And I uh, recount a conversation I had with a Blazers team president who was talking about that building and mistakenly in front of Jody called it Paul's apartment. And Jody cut him off and said, that's my apartment. Like, really? Jody Allen, that's your apartment? Queen B. It may just be that she's stubborn and power hungry and she likes to, you know, I'm in charge of this. She's the queen. But that said, I had an interesting conversation a couple weeks ago with a source at Vulcan who gave me another apparent reason for Jody to slow play the liquidation of, of all of the assets. Apparently, Jody is collecting a management fee to be the trustee. Now, I hadn't thought of that before. And unlike Bert, she won't make a dime when the NBA team is sold. She doesn't get paid. But in the state of Washington... Trustees are allowed to take a reasonable annual distribution. The figures vary. I've heard 2%, 3%, 5%. I checked with the state attorneys. I heard from more today who said, hey, for a billion, couple billion, 10, 20, 30 billion dollar estate, she might only be getting 
you know, she has a fiduciary responsibility. But in the state of Washington, there is not a set figure. There is not a cap on that figure. So Jody Allen could reasonably be collecting 100 to $150 million per year on the Blazers' value alone as the manager of this state. They're worth $3 billion. Keep that in mind. You know, 2%, 3%. You tell me. We're talking about, you know, $60 million if she takes 2%. We're talking about $90 million if she takes 3%. $150 million if she takes 5%. Annual $150 million if she takes 5%. Does this explain why she's not in a hurry? Makes me think. Now, look, I may believe that Phil Knight and Alan Smolinski are the right people to own the team. You may believe that. I think the NBA is the best chance you and I have of Jody Allen getting a wake-up call. It appears to me that Adam Silver has kind of reached the end of his rope. And and he hasn't said anything. He hasn't, you know, but I'm being told that Phil Knight would not have been this public and this aggressive without Adam Silver's blessing. Keep an eye on Jody Allen. Because I believe the NBA commissioner is probably not that comfortable with her as the acting owner of the franchise. And I use acting owner in air quotes. Remember the bodyguards who uh, you know, claimed in the depositions that Jody sexually harassed them? She bought them swim trunks, made them perform a fashion show for her. Remember the guards who said that she directed them to smuggle animal bones out of Africa and Antarctica? 15 members of that personal security detail have filed civil lawsuits against the Allen family. More than a dozen of them settled out of court. The Allen family attorneys, I should say to be fair to them, have called all of those accusations meritless. But USDA records do reveal that inspectors destroyed 72 pounds of giraffe bones belonging to Vulcan Inc. What are they doing? Uh, I think this is a really important conversation to have i am uh fascinated by the fate of the franchise it's really important to a lot of people but i am left looking at what we are watching unfold before our very eyes and just shaking my head it never should have ended this way it never should have been left to a trustee in an estate and question marks and jody allen clinging to the team and keep in mind she doesn't get anything when the team is sold. In fact, she loses the 90 to 150 million a year that she will be collecting. 10 to 20 years, she says. That's how long it's going to take to to settle the estate. 10 to 20 years. I don't know if you have an estate attorney on speed dial, but ask them what they think of that. Cuz I'm getting laughter on the other end of the phone and going you would have to, you know, intentionally drag it out. Wall Street Journal had the quote. Uh, it's ridiculous. I think more public pressure is needed. I think Adam Silver and the NBA need to come forth at some point. And I think, you know, look, based upon what those bodyguards have said about Jody Allen, I I shudder with a sports world that has seen Daniel Snyder and a sports world that has seen Donald Sterling and a sports world that saw the Phoenix Suns, uh, Robert Sarver have to sell the Suns. I kind of shudder to think that this is the quote-unquote owner of the Trailblazers 
And I got to think Adam Silver and the league are not at all comfortable with where this franchise is today. You know, Phil Knight maybe doesn't get the team on the open market, but it shouldn't be sitting in a trust right now. It's why I look at the number three pick. I look at the franchise. This is uh We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face Hey, sorry to interrupt the podcast, but if you want to listen to more of the Bald Face Truth Radio Show, including more of this segment that you're listening to, make sure you subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes to the Bald Face Truth Radio Show. Thanks for listening.